Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Got a really good chance and a really good crack at to, to make it there. Um, game 7 against a really good Portland team that we felt like we should have won. It's September 30th, 2019. Nuggets Media Day. The team comes to camp with momentum. The word championship is being tossed around, and not just by reporters looking for a juicy tweet. Here's what Coach Michael Malone had to tell his team on Media Day. Our goal should not be to get back to the Western Conference semifinals. Our goal should not be to get to the finals. You'd be selling yourself short. Is it a lofty goal? Yes. Is it a championship or bust? No. But I want our guys to have a championship mentality when they come to work every day, every film session, every practice, every shoot-around. If we do that, we're going to give ourselves a chance. Veterans like Paul Millsap and Will Barton also believe this team can be special. Meanwhile, across the room, Nikola Jokic is asked if the goal for the season is to win a championship. I mean, like I always said, never have goals. I mean, yeah, just because I think goals is uh, make you feel pressure, make you feel nervous, stress, whatever. Like, if I don't make it, I'm gonna die or whatever. You know? So just, just, just there, go there and try to win it. You know. Nearly nine months later, as the crowd at the Pepsi Center watches Jokic spin, reverse spin, and pivot into a soft jump hook over a towering opponent. Nuggets fans feel like they are going to die or whatever. The ball hangs in the air, suspended by the collective gasp of the Denver crowd. As the shot hits the front of the rim and begins falling off to the side, Nuggets Nation sees their hope of a championship, five decades in the making, ending as it always ends. Nug life. The thing is, though, this time, that isn't how it ends. This is the story of how that ball finds its way into the basket and into NBA history. You're listening to Breaking Basketball, a Nug Life story. Brought to you by The Dig, a Denver Stiffs podcast. Jump on Nugget's social media, and you are likely to see hashtag NugLife within three posts. It's a mantra, a badge of honor, earned by the Nuggets faithful after 53 seasons, 22 head coaches, 380 players, 4,304 games, and a laughable number of bad breaks, busted draft picks, and losing seasons. After all of this, the Nuggets have never even sniffed a championship. Why can't the Nuggets inbound a single pass to beat the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals? Nug life. Why did Carmelo Anthony want to throw away his career in New York instead of staying with a talented contender in Denver? Well... Nug life. 
Why did Mark Macon, Ephthemus Rentius, Tony Batti, Rafe LaFrance, Nicolas Skidishvili, and Emmanuel Moutier all suck so bad? Nug life. That's why. That's always why. Nuggets fans are Sisyphus, doomed to push a boulder-sized basketball up to an impossibly high rim, only to have it roll all the way back down the court every time. That's Nug life. So how did such a young team with an unconventional superstar, shifting lineup, and the most technical fouls in NBA history rise so quickly through a brutal Western Conference? How did they overcome long odds and fierce competition and locker room upheaval? How did the Nuggets' biggest question mark of the preseason end up shaping their championship run? The answer to all these questions is the same answer it is to any question about the team that plays at the can. Nug life. The Denver Nuggets came into the 2019-2020 season with mile-high expectations. Despite exceeding their goal to just make the playoffs the previous year, the Nuggets felt that their second-round exit was premature. The team lost a Game 7 on their home court, where they had dominated throughout the regular season. And they lost to a Portland team with less talent, but who ended up having more heart. During media day, Michael Malone addressed the mood of the team going into the 2020 season. Great. You know, obviously, I think we had a great summer. Uh, and this past month of September, we've had a full gym. Guys have been working. They've been here all summer, to be honest. I, and I think that says something really important to me. We had a great year last year, which is which is cool. A lot of records, blah, blah, blah. It's over. Things can change quickly in the NBA. So we got to make sure that, you know, uh, our human nature is our biggest opponent. Don't be satisfied. Last year was great. we got to work even harder this year. And the players' commitment and being here all month, putting the time in the weight room on the court, uh, it's been phenomenal. So uh, I'm very excited to start camp tomorrow and start working towards hopefully bringing back a, a championship to this city. The following day, the first day of training camp in Colorado Springs, Coach Malone replayed the end of Game 7 for his young team. Had the Nuggets stood pat in the offseason, they still would have been one of the favorites for the one seed in the West, thanks to their continuity and their trajectory. The rest of the Western Conference powers had major question marks. The juggernaut for years, the Golden State Warriors, they limped into the season, having lost all-time great Kevin Durant to free agency. They were also without their generational talent, Clay Thompson, because of an injury he suffered during the finals the year before. They had added another talented guard in D'Angelo Russell to help fill this void, but his fit alongside Steph Curry was definitely questionable. It sure seemed like the attrition of five years of playoff basketball may finally have caught up with the NBA's Golden Boys. The Warriors' main rival the last couple of years, the Houston Rockets, went through major changes of their own. They swapped out an aging point guard in Chris Paul for a more athletic but less skilled Russell Westbrook in order to better complement their perennial MVP candidate, James Harden. But no one knew for sure how two players with such high usage rates would work in the same backcourt together. The Lakers, also an interesting case, after a failed season the previous year, traded a third of their roster and practically their entire future for an all-pro but admittedly fragile sidekick for LeBron James. 
the Blazers, who were a Western Conference Finals team the previous year, they overhauled almost their entire supporting cast. And the Utah Jazz added a traditional but aging point guard, Mike Connolly, as well as sharpshooting Bojan Bogdanovic to an already talented playoff team. But there were questions there too, as they had some pieces to arrange. The biggest splash, though, by far, came from the Los Angeles Clippers, who were able to pull off a midnight coup, landing two-time finals MVP Kawhi Leonard and all-world swingman Paul George. Because of this top-heavy star power and the talented role players that they had on the team, like Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell from the season before, the Clippers entered the season as the definite favorite in the West. All right, Jeremy, fill in the blank. Blank is the best team in the Western Conference. Uh, it's the Clippers. It's, it's a it, tough one. To me, it was so clearly the Clippers going back a few months. Uh, Paul George's injury kind of has me now wondering how much that might rear its head. But I think in the end, the only real effect that would have is, is on their season record. By the time the, the playoffs rolls around, um, I think he's back. I was almost ready to let Utah slip in there and actually be number one. But, I mean, oh. that just sounds bad, doesn't it? Yeah. You feel like they're going to do something it's Utah. to screw it up this year, aren't they? Like, yeah, like they're they're going to go on like some like one for 12 streak at some point in the season because Donovan Mitchell is shooting like 40 times a game. And everyone's going to be like, oh, this is not working. And then they'll be good by the playoffs. I feel like just in general, Utah is always surprisingly or delightfully surprising me. And nobody wants to give them too much credit. But, oh, okay, they've got, they've got a food scene going on. Oh, okay, the snow is pretty good there. Oh, okay, the basketball <laughs> is doing well. But just you, you can't ever give them, you know, the overall – win on anything they don't have the best food scene the best snow or the best basketball team yeah i agree i mean i i think it's got to be the clippers if we're talking about the team most likely to win a championship from the western conference yeah i mean that's a different question than like who's gonna have the best record right which is not gonna be the clippers because not only is paul george hurt but Kawhi leonard is only going to play like 60 games. I mean, that was part of why he went to the Clippers is because they were cool with that, from my understanding. Oh, um, I wasn't aware of that. He, yeah, he's going to do the same like, yeah, it's like the same That's load smart. management stuff that he did with, with Toronto last year. Uh-huh. You know, you you said the Nuggets and you spoke kind of loudly. And then you said, well, and you know, maybe Utah and you spoke even louder. And then, then you said the Clippers and even louder yet. But the <laughs> loudest thing that you said... <laughs> Uh-huh. It was actually the loudest thing that you didn't say was the Lakers. You didn't bring that oh, up at all. Yeah. That was extremely loud. Yeah. There's a reason for that. Do I want to predict that the Lakers are not going to make the playoffs again this year? Yes, I do. Oh my I really want to make that prediction. That's a juicy one. It is juicy, you- and I think it's like possible if I had to handicap it. So I'm trying to decide if I'm willing to take the 35% (laughs) chance and just go for it with the understanding that likely the Lakers are like the second seed. 
It's possible. Right. <laughs> if everything breaks right for him, it's possible. Still, the only team in the Western Conference relying on the same core of talent as the previous year was the Denver Nuggets. Nikola Jokic had arrived. His standout performance in the playoffs the previous year, almost averaging a triple-double, had cemented him among the NBA's elite talents. Jamal Murray received a max extension on the heels of his growth into a fierce leader and a competitor at the starting point guard position. Veteran Paul Millsap would continue to anchor the defense and provide a steadying hand on what was still one of the youngest teams in the NBA. And Gary Harris looked to regain his role as one of the better two-way guards in the league following an injury-plagued 2018-19 campaign. It's not that the Nuggets stood pat, though. They swiped versatile big man Jeremy Grant from the rebuilding Thunder, and they added several fascinating rookie prospects. Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Torrey Craig, and Mason Plumlee were all still on the team, making the Nuggets arguably the deepest team in all of basketball. Most importantly, though, Michael Porter Jr., a player with almost unlimited potential, would finally make his rookie debut, injecting size and shooting onto an already deep team. MBJ's long-awaited arrival would severely complicate the Nuggets' pressing preseason question, though. Who should start at small forward? With four, or perhaps even five, viable options at the position, the Nuggets had a good problem on their hands. But it was still a problem. The debate caused a divide in the fans and the pundits in the weeks leading up to the opening night in Portland. There is a traffic jam at the three spot. I mean, you got choice upon choice at the three. How does Michael Malone sort this out? Because it's not going to be easy. We've, we we kind of saw the, uh, you know, the, it's been the talk. There's an open competition uh, at small forward. We've, we've seen Will Barton start both games. Are you, do you think Will Barton, uh, the at least for the starting small forward spot, like that's, that there really is no competition. It's It's been Will Barton and it's going to be Will Barton. Well, the last time we talked about this, we talked about um, what would the difference be with, um, Tory Craig at starter, right? And then that maybe you could have Will if right. he's a little dinged up off the bench. Well, Will doesn't look dinged up, so right. if Will's not dinged up, then I would expect it to be Will's job as starter, at least to begin the season. If Barton is going to play on the first team and really help this team, he's got to go in there and get you 18 or 20. Because if he goes in there and goes 2 for 13, you don't get the ball movement, yeah. you don't get a lot of that other stuff. I think Craig and Hernan Gomez are perfect sit, uh, fits for the first team. Yeah, the, I think the only thing I mean the only thing you worry about with Will, I think, is is what you always are going to worry about with Will is like is he big enough uh, to play that spot? Because as we saw against Kawhi Leonard, right? He, I mean, he didn't really stand much of a chance. He was not uh, on the court against Kawhi like Leonard. That. Yeah, I mean, he was, but but he wasn't. <laughs> Each guy is so different. Uh, I had posited that they might try Tory Craig this year as somebody who may be able to stick in the playoffs a little bit more. Uh, but as you said, Tory Craig did not play tonight. Really, the competition seems to be for the backup small forward spot. And I don't think Tory Craig fits as well with the backups. Uh, going with Jeremy Grant, uh, Mason Plumley. there's not a ton of spacing there. All right, Jeremy, buy or sell Will Barton as the starting small forward for your Denver Nuggets. Well, I'm completely buying this. 
uh, to be honest, nobody's won it. And unfortunately for Barton, he hasn't won it either. But there's just too much in motion uh, going on right now. If, if you look at the experience Barton has already being the uh, uh, the one or the starter. Um, if you look at the the money on the roster and where it's going for all these positions, that's going for Barton. If it is actually legitimately an open competition for the small forward spot, then Michael Porter Jr. has been the best small forward in the preseason. The debate about the small forward position would continue to remain front and center throughout the regular season and play a crucial role in determining the Nuggets' overall fate. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. On October 23rd, 2019, the Nuggets faithful finally got their answer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The consensus among most fans and pundits was that Will Barton would be the opening night starter. But he was a divisive figure in the fan base. Will, the thrill, had shown consistent effort and a relatively high level of play off the bench during a darker period in Nuggets history, which had led to a lot of goodwill for Barton from the Denver media, from the fan base, and from Nuggets leadership, including Coach Malone. He rode that goodwill to a sizable four-year contract, despite really having only been a role player on a lottery team. With that contract, though, came the expectation that Will Barton was the Nuggets' small forward of the future. But Barton's play was not universally appreciated. Barton's supporters highly valued his ability to be a second playmaker on the starting unit. Barton was also known to be a strong leader in the locker room, and he was extremely popular with his teammates and coaches. His infectious smile and his friendly demeanor also made him very likable. He was an easy player to root for. His detractors said that his playmaking abilities were overstated and that they masked poor decision-making. Some felt that his locker room presence wasn't as important as his on-the-court play, which they saw as inconsistent and problematic. He was also undersized against the lengthy forwards on many of the Western Conference contenders. Paul George and LeBron James would be major problems for a 6'6", 190-pound soaking wet small forward, obviously. But most of the contenders in the West would get substantial contributions from small forwards that were either 6'8 or taller. Barton just wasn't big enough or crafty enough on defense to compete on a night-by-night basis with the trees at that position. Then there were his difficulties the previous season. Barton sustained a core injury after just the second game, which sidelined him for the better part of two months. 
despite retaining his place in the starting lineup when he returned. He closed out the regular season, averaging just 11.5 points on 40% from the field in 43 games. His rebounding was down, his assists were down, his three-point percentage was down. Gone was the finishing ability and the hustle that had endeared him to many Denver fans. In the playoffs, these problems were exacerbated, leading Malone to bench him for Torrey Craig. Barton showed some flashes of the old thrill in his new role, but ultimately it wasn't enough to add clarity to the small forward position moving into the 2019-2020 season. Coming into training camp, Malone still believed in Barton, but he did open up competition for the small forward role. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I don't read most of the stuff you guys write, but I know that's been a constant source of uh, debate, topic, whatever you want to call it. And you, you nailed it, man. It's going to be an open competition. You uh, know, last year, Will Barton was a second game of the season, missed a big chunk and was playing catch-up when he came back to the team because we're rolling and he's trying to find his rhythm while not, you know, kind of slowing down the team. Uh, and then I made the decision in the playoffs to start Tory, And uh, I think that was a move that helped us at that time. But, you know, going into camp tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock, it's, it's an open competition. We have Will Barton, we have Tory Craig, we have Michael Porter, we have Juancho Hernan Gomez. This open competition was news to Will Barton. He had assumed his role in the starting lineup. Was it open? Yeah. I think it's open. I didn't know. Nobody told you that. Oh, okay. You heard that? You told me something new. No, I'm just reiterating what Mom said. Oh, he told y'all that? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't know something. No, I didn't. But it's been good, though. I guess. But when I, I, now that you just said it, I think the guys at the free position have been playing well. <laughs> Including yourself? Yeah, when I've been out there. Adding a log to the simmering fire was Michael Porter Jr.'s play during the preseason. The long, athletic, red-shirted rookie showed flashes of brilliance, shooting well from the outside and mid-range and proving to be a force inside. Many had questioned his defensive toughness, but in the third preseason game especially, MPJ had two blocks and several aggressive offensive rebounds seemed to indicate that his defensive liabilities might have been overblown. To be fair, though, most of his work had come against second units, and the 21-year-old hadn't played a meaningful game in almost two years, barely removed from high school. The talent was there, unquestionably, but the experience was not. Still, MPJ had played well enough to cause a stir among Nuggets fans and media members. don't I mean after like after that performance against against the Clippers job? Don't you like want to see him? Oh, I want to not play against. It's not strangers? a matter of whether I want to see him. I I am um, very intrigued by his ridiculously easy offense. Um, and he's a way nice. better cutter at this point in his career off ball than I thought that he would be. He put in the time that they told him to put in. And I always love it when every young player puts in that time. Wait, though, you can learn while you're sitting out. I yes. mean, Blake Griffin, Ramona, you yeah. remember, I mean, he missed Open his end. first season completely due to injury. And then when he was plugged in, like, he was ready to go. Um, his shooting numbers have been fantastic. Uh, I don't think he's looked nearly as bad on defense as a lot of people were expecting. I mean, yeah, there's, like, some rotation issues, and every once in a while somebody has to cover for him or something. But he had a couple of huge blocks in the Suns game. And... Uh, you know, generally speaking, I feel like he's been, you know, about average, which like, there's a lot of superstars in the NBA who are below average defenders or even worse. Um, 
who are <laughs> bottom feeders um, on the defensive end, you know, MBJ may never be like a super outstanding defender. The question is, is his defense so bad that it doesn't, that it actually counteracts his offensive production and what he would add on the starting lineup? And more and more, I'm having a difficult time coming up with why Barton is a better option there. Just a week before the season, an article on NBA.com titled Denver Nuggets analyzing the potential for a sliding starting lineup, argued for a forward-by-committee approach. Author Eric Spiropoulos noted that even Jeremy Grant and Malik Beasley could make sense in the starting lineup, depending entirely on matchups. Both Grant and Beasley had looked spectacular in the preseason. In the third game against the Suns, Grant scored 22 points on just eight shots. If he continued to be a 40% three-point shooter, like he was for the Thunder the year before, his defensive versatility and shot blocking would make him an intriguing fifth starter. Beasley, on the other hand, would be fine defensively against some of the smaller lineups like Houston, Utah, and Golden State, while providing a higher level of shooting than Barton or Craig would. As Coach Malone pointed out on Media Day, he doesn't pay attention to this noise. And ultimately, it was his decision. I think what happens is I think you give a group of guys a chance to play and you analyze that after a certain number of games and see how that group is playing. And if you have to make any changes, then you can. But you know, there are some teams that use that philosophy. You have your core four guys and that fifth guy could be depending on matchup, depending on who's playing. So as of right now, we played two preseason games. We've got a bunch of practices. Uh, there's no leader in terms of who our starting small forward is going to be. It's impossible to try and play four small forwards in one game. And if I did that, I'd be doing all of them a disservice because none of them would have an ample opportunity to kind of get into a rhythm and play their best. So uh, we have two more opportunities in live games to continue to see who that starting small forward is going to be for us. On opening night, October 23rd, in Portland, Oregon, Coach Malone chose experience over talent, the present over the future. Barton would go 10 of 15 for 24 points with six rebounds and no turnovers in the Nuggets' first win of the season. Will the Thrill was back. In episode two, the season begins to take its toll on both the team and those who follow them. Welcome back to hour two of the Nuggets trade deadline special. I know. Bottle it doesn't look like whiskey special. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to do anything. If they don't do anything, I can never forgive them at this it's, point. I, I know. It seems unbelievable, but I mean, this has been kind of the pattern. Dude, like, dude. Stop. Dude, refresh watch right now. Oh my. What? Give me the mic. No, no. Give me the mic. I'm done. I'm done with this crap. It's over. This show is over. I'm so sick of your crap, you phony. 
Kuzma is the is is their third star. You haven't heard this? Have you have you not have you not oh, talked to a Lakers fan? It's all it's all Lakers fans right. talk about. No, Kyle yeah. Kuzma's like actually like he's like a like an all star. It's they're the three headed right. monster. You know, and and nobody knows which head is on top <laughs> or which head is to the side. It's just it just blurs. It's Anthony Davis. Is it Kyle Kuzma? Is it LeBron? Right. LeBron Kuzma Davis. Nobody knows. It's just the three headed monster. I mean, nobody's even talking about JaVale McGee. Not even bringing him up. You know. 